0: you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you please open them up to chapter 5 of James? We're on the home stretch. We're covering the last two verses today. Next week we'll summarize the entire book and we'll be moving on from James. And while you're turning there, let me just um, give you a little information since I've had so many comments, and I might add most of them unkind about my attire, that um, this last week, Tim Van Summer and I spent... A few days at a conference, a pastor's conference in Louisville, Kentucky, and guess who happened to be there? Dean Carlson. He sends his love and his regards. For those who don't know Dean, he is our former senior pastor uh, for up till about two years ago, 16 years of ministry here, faithful ministry, and so I'm uh, dressed today to honor him, and I couldn't find any other clothes this morning, so that's, uh, that's really the, the truth. Connie, I love you. Your husband was one of the rudest, though, so I would like to talk to him. You know, during, during his early teen years, Robert Robertson lived in London. Now, listen, Robert Robertson was the man who penned that song that we just sang called Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And he lived wildly as part of a notorious gang, and it was at 17 years old that he heard the evangelist George Whitfield preach. And uh, Robertson eventually put his trust in Christ, and soon he felt the call to preach the gospel and became the pastor of a Baptist church in Cambridge, England. And despite his young age, Robinson became known as an able minister and scholar and hymn writer even, even before he was 23 years of age. Now listen to the rest of the story. His later life was evidently not an easy one. And one day, while riding in a public carriage, he met a woman who was riding along, who was studying a hymnal, and she asked how he liked the hymn that she was humming. And in tears, he replied, Madam, I am the poor, unhappy man who wrote that hymn years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds, if I had them, to to enjoy the feelings I had then. That is why the final verse of this hymn has brought tears to millions for over 200 years. Here's how it went. You remember it. We just sang it. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let that grace now, like a fetter, bind My wandering heart to thee prone to wander. Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for Thy courts above powerful hymn. Let's pray. Lord, we need your help this morning to be able to not only accurately divide your word, but to even hear it and to live it. Lord, we cannot do that on our own strength alone. So, Lord, we pray that uh, this morning during this sermon, through the words of James, that you would bind even tighter our faith so that we would cling to the truth of the gospel, that we would not wander. Lord, let us become a people who pursue those who wander from out of our midst help us to be gentle and loving as we restore them. And in Jesus' name, amen. If you remember the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the CPRs of healthy Christian living, and we talked about the need that James tells us for us to become confessing Christians, not because when I confess my sins to you, God absolves them. He only does that through the blood of Christ. But because in confessing, I'm learning biblically, just as you are, that it means to agree fully Openly and listen, joyfully with God's verdict. And if you remember, God speaks to us through a double-edged sword. That's what Hebrews says. And one edge of that sword in biblical confession is judgment, and that judgment is God. Even one sin... Even what I might think is the most benign sin, it's anathema to you. It's horrifying to you. In your holy eyes, you look at any sin. Now listen, the worst teaching in the church might be that God doesn't see our sin anymore. Now granted, God doesn't credit to us our sin anymore, but God's not blind. And when we sin, the Spirit of God convicts us. It teaches us, as Titus says, to say no to ungodliness So God sees sin, and when we sin, God sees it with horrifying experience. But thank God, there's another edge to confession, and the edge of grace is what we need to cling to. We need to see our sin, we need to agree with God, and then we need to see that God's grace is ours. And that grace says that God has given it, Grace to take away our sin. That's what grace means. So if you're a terrible sinner, God's an unbelievable grace giver. That's what Paul says in Romans. So grace is meant to take, us, to take our sin away. By the way, if you're a gracious person who lives out grace to others, you know what that means, don't you? It doesn't mean you're kind. It doesn't mean you're benevolent. What it means is what the word means is that you are great and faithful and moving a sinful person to Christ for that sin to be removed. That's what it means. If you're a gracious person, then you're a magnet to Christ's grace. You're an arrow to Christ's grace. And His mercy takes away the consequences of that sin. So confession is joyfully, openly, God, I'm a sinner, What I did was wrong. You showed me that. And it's anathema to you. It's horrifying to you. I can't live like it's no big deal. It is a big deal. It put Jesus on the cross. But you offer me grace. And I'm taking it. And I'm going to ask for it abundantly. And I'm going to come confidently to the throne of grace. And I know that Jesus intercedes for me and he's praying and he's asking God, the Father, to give grace to Tim, the sinner, because he's confessing. That's what it means to confess. And we do that repeatedly. We do that habitually as we sin. That's the C in the CPR of healthy Christian living. What's the P? The P is pray. The text in the the tense in Greek means to pray repeatedly. Over and over, habitually, we pray for one another because our faith tends to grow weak. And so the context is to these poor, struggling Christians, pray for one another that God might restore their faith. We need to be praying for one another that we would cling and hold to our faith. But there's an R, there's a C in the P, and now there's an R, and that's what we're looking at this morning. The R is rescue. And here's where we see it in chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring it back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Now, I'm going to ask you at the beginning... And I'm hoping that this question is going to keep bouncing around in your soul throughout this sermon and beyond. Are you a rescuing believer? Are you a rescuing believer? Now, James is closing his letter. These are the two last verses. It's not the way we close letters, but it's the way they did in ancient writing. And his closing words, friends, reflects the passion that's in his pastor's heart. He loves his people. And he knows that life is hard. Life was hard for him. That's why they called him the camel knees pastor. Because he was on his knees praying so much. His knees grew hard like a camel. And he knows that difficulty can weaken faith. It can leach Faith. Away from us to the point where some are going to walk away. Friends, listen, we've had people in Cornerstone that have walked away from their faith. Statistically, some of you in this room will one day walk away from your faith. And the church needs to become a community that takes care of one another. So James gives us three teachings. Number one, we need to cling to the truth. Look what he says again in the first part of 19. My brothers, if any of you should wander from the truth. The phrase, my brothers, if anyone... Now listen, you've got to know this. This is going to make this make sense. That phrase suggests that James is talking about those in the churches who, listen, profess. Speak as if they are believers. Not every professing Christian is really a believer. Matthew 7, Jesus tells us this. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons to perform many miracles? then I, Jesus speaking, will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Let's just settle something as a foundation. Not everybody that professes to be a believer is really in Christ. I don't think you could get much clearer than Jesus' words. So remember what we've seen in the book of James, specifically, excuse me, in chapter 5, Many of these Jewish believers were suffering. And guess who they were suffering from? Two different groups of people, many of them their own countrymen, Jews. You know why? Because they had left Judaism. And because they left Judaism and they came to Christ in faith, they were ostracized, they were rejected, and they were suffering from the Greek people and the Roman people all around them. Many of them had lost their lands to wealthy landowners, And their faith had become feeble. You know what that word feeble means, right? It's after you've exercised hard and then afterwards you could barely lift your arm. Their faith had become feeble. And they were weary to the point of collapse. The constant pressure, the relentless struggling was siphoning away their faith in Christ. And some were wandering away from the truth in Christ back to Judaism. That's what's happening. And so James writes, we need to cling to the truth so that we're in a position to rescue others from wandering away. What's that word wander mean? It comes from a Greek word from which we get our word planet. It means to roam or go astray from the right path into error. That's what it means to wander. It means not to just sort of get lost. It means to move off the path of truth onto the path of error and some were wandering away from the gospel. It doesn't mean just doctrinal error. It doesn't mean just intellectual truth. It means any deviation from the way of righteousness. Wandering people in the church, they can certainly fall into doctrinal error. But there are people who doctrinally have right theology in their heads, but have wandered away from Christ in their righteous life. Because you could develop a lifestyle of moral deviation. 1 Timothy 4.16, watch your life and doctrine closely. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, watch the way you live as much as you watch what you believe. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will be in a position to save yourself and other people. You will save both yourself and your hearers. Life and doctrine is what James meant when he used the word truth. Now, you, you need to know this. Because you've read the word truth, if you're a Bible reader, hundreds and hundreds of times. But Christian truth is something more than just intellectual or philosophical. In fact, here it is truth is always moral. Truth is always moral. In other words, truth is always something that must be done as well as believed. You understand that, right? It's truth has to be done, lived out, as well as, as embraced and believed. First John 1 says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk, yet live, yet you have a lifestyle in the darkness, we lie and we do not live, doesn't say we do not believe in, it says we do not live by the truth. This is clear, isn't it? Truth can't just be you knowing a bunch of theology. Truth is believing in who God is and living it out in righteous living. That's what James has pummeled us with this entire book. In fact, it's in chapter 1, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Now, I have to tell you this. I'm going to read you a few more, but I have to tell you this. That is, from my vantage point, I am amazed at how many believers do not function as if they know this truth. They pursue books, they want to grow more knowledgeable. And I think that's worthy. But if they're pursuing books and they're growing knowledgeable and they're amassing theological information without living it out in righteous living, the Bible says it puffs up and makes you arrogant. Have you ever known an arrogant, knowledgeable person in Christ? James says, chapter 1, verse 25, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed. You see in chapter 22, uh, verse 24, you see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. What that means is that faith must produce works of righteousness and works of righteousness when they are lived out increases our faith. It's a great cycle of maturity. That's exactly what that Greek means. So if you've got faith, If you've got belief in God, but don't have the exercise of it, you've got a stunted, weak, feeble, dangerous faith. Who is wise and understanding among you, let him show it by his good life, by deeds done, and the humility that comes from wisdom. James chapter 3. James chapter 4. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. This This is what James means by truth. And he learned it from his brother, Jesus Christ himself. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my father. Now, friends, listen. Can this possibly be clearer? That faith without deeds is dead. If you have sat in this series all 35 messages and have not yet understood that your profession of belief, if it is not lived out in righteous living, is dead, weak, feeble, then I've done a mistake or you've done a mistake. Because faith without deeds is dead. If the truth of God is in us, if the gospel is alive in our hearts, we will live it out in righteous living. And this is what it means to live with single-minded, mature faith. That the truth of the gospel so permeates the way that we think, the way that we feel, the way that we live, that it produces righteousness. Righteousness. Friends, if you want to know what Cornerstone E-Free Church, this church is about, it's this. We want to build strong believers in Jesus Christ through his word, by his truth, and the power of the gospel through his truth as we follow him, living out in righteous living as we put truth into living in our community. That's what we're about. It's trying to get single-minded Christian living out of double-minded Christians. You see, we all tend to be double-minded, including your pastor. We all tend to say, that I believe in this, God. I soundly believe in this, but I don't do it. And James says, the doing must follow the believing or you're double-minded. The gospel is to be lived, not just Believed. But James has told us, friends, that we've got three enemies who are seeking to pull us away from the truth. Number one, we've got the spiritual flesh that we all have. On this side of heaven, you're embodied by flesh. And James spoke about that flesh in chapter one. Then after desire has conceived that flesh, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown gives birth to death. And then he says, don't. Be deceived. That's the same word for wander in our text today. Wandering means to be deceived. Deceived means to be led astray from the right path into error. But that's number one. We've got two more enemies. We've got a devil. Did you know I taught you this before in chapter four? But do you remember that the word, the name devil means one who separates? That's what the word devil means. He seeks to draw us away from God. He seeks to separate us from the truth. He seeks to keep us double-minded in our living. But we have another enemy. That enemy is the world. We have the flesh, we have the devil, and the world. And all three of them are bent on disrupting righteous living. Bent on drawing us away from God. James wrote about the world in chapter 3. Friends, do you remember Demas? Quote... A faithful and loyal fellow worker of Paul. But near the end of Paul's ministries, the seductions of the world drew him away from the gospel. Here's what it says in 2 Timothy. Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Friends, you've got a world... That is trying to pull you away from Christ. And the people of God. You have a flesh like I do. That that is yanking your heart. Towards sin. And you've got a devil in your life. And the same devil we all have. That wants to separate you from God. They are the enemies. And they work hard at making us wander. Away from the truth of the gospel. So James says cling. To the truth. Don't let Your enemies tear you away as some in the church are doing. James goes on. He's still teaching rescuing. And he says, we need to pursue those who wander from the truth. Look at the second part of verse 19. And someone should bring him back. Friends, who's going to bring back the wanderer? I'm going to call Pastor Tim. Tim. Somebody's got to go talk to him. It's not in James. Should I be talking to people? Yes. And if you're the priesthood of all believers, so should you. We are the rescuers. And when someone walks away from the truth, what do we do? What would you do, parents? If your child was heading toward his destruction... It's this urgency that James communicates as we pursue those who begin to wander away from Christ. He wants us to care. He wants us to feel deeply for them. And when one begins to wander from the truth of the gospel and from righteous living that the gospel produces, he wants us to grieve. He wants us to mourn. And he wants us to be motivated deeply to pursue. We must endure and we must persevere in the truth. Hebrews 3.14 says, now listen, I didn't write this. So don't get mad at me when you hear this. It's one of the biggest conditional words in a verse in scripture. It says, we have come to share in Christ if, if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. This Thought of perseverance is repeated over and over and over in the word of God. Friends, you must persevere to the end. You must hold in Christ your faith if you've come to share in him. And we've got to hold firmly to that faith because all of us we're prone to losing our grip. We're prone to wandering We're prone to losing our joy and our hope in Christ. Friends, listen, this is my heart. It's why we cannot forsake meeting together in church. It's why sports and hobbies and things of the world, they cannot be allowed to separate us from worship, from hearing the word of God preached, and from the fellowship of the saints. Well, Pastor Tim, you're trying to legalize church attendance. I came out of a background of that. I hated it. But now I know that it's those three things that grab my fist and help me hold firmly to my faith. Worship, preaching, fellowship, they strengthen your faith. So reject is worldly wisdom. Anybody that would tell you that you can let those three priorities slip and you'll be okay, Friends, listen. If it wasn't for my belief in the fellowship and the strengthening that you do for me and that I do for you and we do for each other, I'd be the first to stay home and watch Stanley. Why not? He preaches the word and I don't have an accountability. Friends, church, fellowship, hearing the word of God preached into your soul, Worshiping God as one people, they are indispensable. If you forfeit them, your faith will weaken. That's not legalism. That's the scripture. James wrote that if someone begins to wander and someone should bring him back, he literally means by bringing him back that we will turn somebody. This is what it means. Turn someone from error to the truth. It means to take this person walking towards destruction and help turn them back to truth. That's what that phrase means. That's why Hebrews 12 says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. It's our God-given duty to watch over one another. So contrary to Cain's sarcastic question to God, We are our brother's keeper. I am responsible in some part and in some way I am responsible for your faith. And you are in part responsible for the faith of your brothers and sisters. And so Christ centered fellowship drives us to help one another keep a grip on faith That's why James has just told us to confess to each other. Why would he tell you to humiliate yourself in front of another person by disgorging the stuff you're ashamed of? Because it's in that act of utter humility that someone takes that sin and points you to Christ, the whole verdict of God's counsel, the judgment and the grace, and then begins praying over and over and over that you will have strength to resist. It's what the power of fellowship means. Because our hearts can Harden. And my faith, your faith, it can calcify and we can fall away. There's no one immune to this. Friends, when someone from this church begins to wander, what do you do? Years ago, we had a man who fell into the movement of the Jesus Seminar. And if you want to boil down all the garbage of the Jesus seminar, it's this, is that there's few, and this man believed seven words of Christ in the New Testament that are inerrant and we can know for sure are true. Seven words. Friends, he was wandering and his life shipwrecked. Shipwrecked. Because he let go of the, the truth. The one who's privatistic, they'll say in response to me, who's got the right to correct? The one who's joyless is going to say, well, why bother? The one who's loveless will say, I don't care. The one who's worldly will say, I'm too busy. But the one with the mind of Christ will leave the 99 and pursue the one until they turn back to Christ. Brother and sister, we need to pursue. And we need to love those who are wandering. James isn't done yet. He's got one more point, and it's in verse 20. He says, We need to restore those who wander from the truth. He says, remember this whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. You see, cornerstone should be a community where straying, wandering people get noticed. And lovingly and gently and yet passionately, they should be pursued and graciously restored. Why? James gives two reasons. I want you to see him this morning. Number one, because pursuing, pursuing and prayerfully turning that person from error, listen, will save Him from the destruction of his soul. In the New Testament, the term sinner consistently means those who are outside the kingdom of God and openly and defiantly disregard his law. That's what the word sinner means. They were in church for a time. They worshiped. They fellowshiped among the Christians. They listened to the preaching of the word, but they were deceived and they became hostile to God. That's what happens when a sinner turns from the truth. 1 John 2.19 says, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. He's not meaning a Christian who moves from one church to another And so the pastor angrily says he moved out from us, but he really wasn't part of us. He means someone who really gave the profession of being in Christ, but yet their life eventually wandered from the truth. You see, the wanderer is in danger of the most severe kind. Friends, listen, I can't possibly overstate this. Hear this, drive it like an anchor in your mind. The soul of the wanderer is in jeopardy. He's wandered from sound doctrine. He's moved into deception. And the three temptresses, the flesh, the world, and the devil, are pulling him away from Christ, separating him from the truth. And the error of his way will be evident. It means the course of his conduct. That's what that phrase means. James writes that the wanderer is living a lifestyle that's contrary to the gospel. He's left right doctrine. He's no longer living rightly. James says, pursue him urgently. Now listen, urgently for his life depends on it. you remember in verse 15 of chapter 1? Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't wander, he commanded. Don't be deceived. The end is death. The path that leads to the destruction, it leads to the destruction of your soul. Friends, the word death, where he says, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death. That word death means the destruction of your soul. Death is the enemy of God, right? Bill Gaston, Sandy Mahorsky's father, came to Christ over a month ago. He defeated death because of Christ. Christ defeated death for Bill. And it was defeated at the cross of Christ. But the friend, listen, the refuge, the refuge from that enemy called death, it's only enjoyed by those who have hidden themselves in Christ and continue to live in the shadow of the cross. If you wander, if you move away from truth, And whether you're a professing believer or not, the, the reality bears itself out truly. If you wander from the truth, you come out from the cross of Christ, you are no longer under his protection. Especially serious for the one who's been in church and has heard the truth. Hebrews has a scathing judgment for that person. He says, if we deliberately keep on sinning, After we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. That doesn't mean, believer, if you sin. It means if you wander from righteousness and deliberately, happily, excitedly reveling in sin, there is no sacrifice left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. So why pursue the wanderer? His soul is at stake, but number two and final, if he repents, his sins will be forgiven. Friends, isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? Why is the gospel called the good news of Jesus Christ? Because though one sin is enough to gain eternal death, a multitude of sins James uses to emphasize the wandering person's hopeless condition. Even though that's true, there is grace available through Christ. The psalmist proclaimed, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are forgiven. Are covered. No longer will the person bear the weight of his sin. Christ will take those sins and nail them to the cross and give us instead garments of righteousness and peace. Friends, let me close with a summation of sorts. Would you listen to this? I asked you in the beginning a question. Somebody were to wander in this church, away from the truth of the gospel, what would you do? James says we all need one another. We all need to pursue those who are wandering. Fellowship, the preaching of God's word, worship every week is imperative to hold your grip to your faith in Christ. It's called redemptive community when we care enough about one another that we will speak into one another encouragement edification that we will confess to one another our sinfulness and that we will pray repeatedly for one another for the restoration of our faith. And then when somebody wanders out of Christ under the shadow of the cross, we're going to go get them. And we're going to turn them by the power of God and in the hope of the gospel back to a faith in Christ. So confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another continually. Rescue each other when you begin to wander. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, Father, for James. What a fitting conclusion for this incredible book. Lord, to bring the responsibility and the hope of faithful endurance and perseverance back to the doorstep of community. Lord, I love it. I appreciate it. Lord, let us learn to live in a CPR, Lord, confessing, praying, and rescuing. And may we have a healthy congregation, Lord, that brings the gospel to bear. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.